The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. All right, well, I'm going to start on time because I have probably way too much material to cover, which is typical of me. Um, But I'd like to pray with you first, so just bow with me in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much just for allowing me to come and and be able to uh, uh, speak with um, other counselors in the room and and Father, just to be so thankful, uh, knowing that you've allowed us the privilege of being in this ministry, Lord. Um, help me to um, just have wisdom and to have clarity when I speak. And Lord, I just pray that this uh, talk would not only bring you glory, but that it would just be helpful and practical. And that the women can walk away with just some more tools in their toolbox um, to go back to their respective churches and just minister to the ladies that you bring into their lives, Lord. And again, Lord, we thank you that you do give us everything we need for life and godliness. You don't leave us empty, um, but you love us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Christ. And Father God, again, we just love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, I I titled um, the workshop Deeper Discipleship for the Unruly, Faint-Hearted, and the Weak because I think, as we all know, uh, the church is not a place where perfect people are, right? And in a spiritual sense, the church can be likened to a hospital. So while it's true that believers, all of us, are new creatures in Christ, we're still all um, recovering, in a sense, from radical heart surgery. Um, and we still battle with that residue of sin. And, and so it's, it's just important um, that we understand that. And inevitably, in a church setting, yes? Oh, is there really? Yeah, I guess go tell them. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) But anyway, um, it's important that we know that because inevitably in counseling, um, when you guys get opportunities to counsel, there are going to be times when you find yourself needing to be more involved in a deeper discipleship relationship with people in your church. Um, And and these people are struggling. These women that you get to meet with, they're struggling. And um, they're stumbling in the darkness, so to speak. And so it's with those times that we get the privilege of really administering to them in love that right bit of medicine, which is really God's word, isn't it, to reorient them back to good spiritual health for the glory of God. And because people are individuals, um, we just need to be really cautious. And I think that we really need to refrain from counseling and generalities. We need to be very careful about that. Really, the people that God brings to us for counsel are individuals that need our care and concern. They're not problems attached to people, right? And so we need to keep that in mind. Um, And so the goal, then, is to really help them to identify their particular sin struggle and then to help them turn from that towards God, who's going to work the change in their lives um, for his glory. This type of involvement, as you know, um, requires a genuine love for others, a steady patience, very steady patience, and an earnest desire to help them understand what it really means to repent from their sin and then begin to walk in a manner that's worthy of their calling. So for our purposes this evening, I'm actually going to talk about different categories of sin which encompass all kinds of people needing help. And you're going to discover, if you're honest with yourself, that all of you in this room, and myself included, will be in each of these categories at some point in your walk. Okay, And so this is not only going to be beneficial to your own discipleship, counseling, relationships, but it's going to be extremely helpful in your own walk as well with the Lord. Um, so 
Do you have your Bibles? You should all have your swords. Get your swords out. Um, we're only going to be looking at one verse, really, but turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Counselors, get, your, get the word out. And I'm going to actually be reading from the NASB version. This may be a familiar verse to you. Paul writes, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is a great reminder of how important it is to be a discerning studier of the people that God brings into your life. Sometimes, especially if you've been a counselor for a long time, you can be tempted to make the mistake of diagnosing a heart issue before you've really had enough information about a person. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we just do that. We recognize patterns and we begin to diagnose before um, we have enough data. And so Paul is just really reminding us in this one verse that not all people are the same, okay? Not all people are struggling with the same issue, right? And not all people should receive the same counsel from the Word of God. So that's important. Rather, what he does here is he gives us three categories of people in the church that that all counselors and disciples will inevitably um, have involvement in at some point or another, And so we're going to take a look at our first category of person that Paul is referring to that you will encounter in your counseling ministries um, as God brings them to you. Um, Okay? Paul writes, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now, in the previous context to this verse, Paul is talking about the attitudes of believers towards their leadership, how we are to respond to the leaders in the church, in particular um, pastors and elders at our church, But in this context, Paul is changing the subject to a believer's responsibility to to difficult people in the church, basically. Okay, so this is sheep to sheep, brethren to brethren. And so what I thought would be fun, and I know there's some ladies that have probably heard this talk before, but what I thought would be fun so that I can help you to remember, um, you know, the categories of people that I'm going to be talking about today and the heart attitudes that are associated Um, with that person is just to kind of give them some names. So I'm kind of hoping that no one has the same names that I've chosen. (laughs) Please don't take offense. This is just really more of a way to help you remember. But my first example is Unbending Ursula. I've called her that because she's been caught up in being unruly. Um, The Greek word for unruly is ataktos, okay? And this word was often used in a military sense. In this verse in particular, it has the idea of a soldier who's out of line. This person is not keeping rank. Um, they're insubordinate. They're non-submissive. They disobey orders. They're not following through on a duty. And so really, in a nutshell, this person would be someone that's just out of step with the rest of the soldiers in the camp, so to speak. Um, and Paul is exhorting believers to admonish the unruly Christians that they come across in their fellowship because they're out of step with the rest of the body and they're basically in rebellious disregard for God's instruction on living. Okay, kind of give you the picture. I'll give you some just kind of general example. Um, because unruliness has many faces. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, right? Um, in Thessalonica, there were definitely unruly people. And the unruly people in Thessalonica were those who just didn't work. And they thought the church should support them. Okay. So that, that is definitely a specific category. And so um, Paul did give the brethren um, in the church, Second Thessalonians talks about it, um, orders to 
that they shouldn't eat if they're not going to work. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good admonishment. You don't work, you don't eat, right? And so that was how he dealt with that. But generally speaking, for us today, the idea is really waywardness, okay? An unruly person is wayward. Um, Unruly Ursula, she's out of line with the rest. Generally speaking, she's going to be one that's not supportive of the leadership, okay? Or she's not following through on some spiritual duty because she's angry or she's just not part of what's going on. And, I mean, I'm using the pronoun she, but I realize there could be a he in this as well. Um, While everyone is going in one direction, unruly Ursula is going another, okay? (laughs) Um, And eventually, if she doesn't repent, what happens is typically this person leaves the church and just goes on to the next church, right? And so that's kind of what that's all about. Um, We know one thing for certain, unruliness is a sin, And it's just really connected to someone who's just simply in rebellious disregard for God's instruction on living. And if you get a chance to meet with someone like this, it's going to be very vital in your counseling that you ask lots and lots of questions because you want to be able to draw her out and you want to be able to kind of pinpoint and understand the manifestation of unruliness that she's struggling with. Because like I said, it has many faces. It's hard to pinpoint. But through lots of uh, questions, it's really, really helpful. Now, I'm going to give you a case study because I think case studies are helpful. I've always found them to be helpful in learning, and um, this is an example, one example of unruliness, and I'll just kind of read the case study to you just to kind of get you acquainted of what an unruly person might be struggling with. And I think that you'll be kind of surprised because she's probably someone that you know. Um, People just go through things. Um, The counselee that I'm going to introduce to you today, she's an older woman, and she has two grown children. And through taking inventory um, by asking lots of questions, it was discovered that she had been a believer for about six years. Um, She is married to an unbeliever, and she's always worked outside the home. And so as the counselor was gathering careful data, it was discovered that this woman just really has a very hard life. And so she's struggling with just bearing up um, under the weight of her present circumstances. Now, recently, the pastor at her church referred her for counseling because she's having a very difficult time accepting a decision that one of her grown sons has made to marry a girl in the church, okay? For various reasons, this counselee is very opposed to her her son getting married, and so her strong feelings about this soon-to-be union have actually caused factions and divisions in the church (laughs) because she's going about slandering the leadership who is behind their decision for them to marry, it was also found out from the referring pastor that before this counseling came for counseling, she had already been admonished multiple times by the leadership to step away, um, that she's jealous and she simply wants to control her son. And she's not being loving towards her soon-to-be daughter-in-law. And she's not listening, she's not understanding, and she's letting her emotions get the best of her. But unfortunately, she's not submitting to what the leadership Um, would have her do and so consequently she's actually on the verge of church discipline (laughs) and she's one step away because she won't let it go Um, and so uh, the pastor is hopeful that if she meets with you the counselor that you'll be able to put some sense into her head (laughs) okay Um, so from what she shared in the first couple of sessions and from the data that the counselor has obtained and what the leadership has observed I'm going to give you some some specific Um, unbiblical, unruly habits and behaviors that have been identified in this particular counseling, okay? Because this is important. Um, When you do NANC reports, this will be, if you do those already as a counselor, this will be kind of um, 
familiar to you, just kind of the way that we find that information. The first unruly behavior that was observed in here in her is that she just wants to have things her own way and she wants to be in control, right? And I'll just give you a little side note. I didn't mention this before, but the son who wants to marry is in his 30s, okay? <laughs> and he's a grown man. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if he's the older one, but I do know he's in his 30s. The church had been watching his relationship with this woman develop, and they're on board with what was taking place. You know, they had high accountability. Um, things were, were seemed to be progressing very nicely, but mom is just having a hard time letting go, okay? She's having a hard time letting go. She wants to be in control of her son's life, and she also fears that she's going to fail, or that he's going to fail, actually, in his marriage in some way if he marries this gal. And so because she wants to be in control... And because she fears the future, she's anxious, okay? So that's kind of what's going on, and she's very emotional. Um, the second unruly behavior that was noticed is she is just simply being judgmental of, um, of others by seeing the speck in her brother's eye, right, and not seeing that big old log in her own eye. And so that's going on as well. Um, she's very threatened by the relationship. Um, she has grown really bitter towards the girl that her son is dating. And interestingly enough, through data gathering, it was discovered that she was actually friends with this woman before um, the son, and she's, she's not the same age as this woman. She's actually the same age as her son, but they were friends. And um, prior to them dating, um, the counseling had a fine relationship with her. There wasn't any concern or anything like that, um, but suddenly there's a concern because <laughs> she's dating her son, right? The other unruly behavior that was identified was a lack of biblical love. Um, that was definitely evident. Um, she just kind of had a lack of biblical love towards the leadership, towards her son, and towards this gal, uh, her son's uh, girlfriend. And so, you know, she's, she's self-focused. And, and this is kind of the point at what she has uh, gotten to. And, and it's, it's sad. It's sad that people do get to this point. You know, this does happen. And so that's kind of what was discerned to, through just long counseling sessions, just some really good data gathering, try to identify and pinpoint what, what the unruly behaviors are. And so what do we learn from 1 Thessalonians 5.14? What do we do? What do we do now? What is the command in there? What does Paul tell us that we should do with our unruly counselees? Admonish. That's right. That's right. Um, the Greek word for admonish is nutheteo. Um, it means to put sense into someone's head. That's, that's one meaning for it. It just sim- simply means to put sense into in this verse, uh, Paul is actually um, urging or commanding believers to come alongside those who are unruly, okay, and to put some sense into their head. Um, but that's not the only meaning. Um, Nuthateo can also mean to warn or instruct um, with the idea that we come alongside such a one closely and intimately and show them the consequences of their conduct. That's very important. Um, the goal in admonishing unruly Ursula is really to warn her by coming alongside out of care and concern because we love her, you know, and by saying, you know, you're out of step and you're really going to go, you're going in a direction that's going to end in disaster if you don't repent. Um, Proverbs thirteen fifteen is an important proverb that tells us that good sense wins favor, but the way of a transgressor is hard. You know, you're going down that road, and it's just going to become harder and harder over time. So it's really important not only to, um, to, to, 
try to put sense into their head biblically, obviously, but to also try to be very careful and to help them to understand the consequences to warn or instruct um, of where they're going. So anyway, those are the unruly behaviors that were um, observed in the counselee. But there's something that we really need to keep in mind that's really important, something that Jesus reminds us of in Matthew 15, 19, that it's out of the heart, right, that come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So not only do we need to be aware, obviously, of what the unruly behaviors are, because we need to know those things, um, but more importantly, what do we need to discern what's going on in the heart, right? Um, So what's the heart of the matter? When a person wants their own way and wants to be in control and they're struggling with judgmentalism and they're struggling with that lack of biblical love, who would you say is taking Jesus' rightful place on the throne of their heart? Self, right? That's exactly right. And that was the case here. So what what do we call that heart attitude? Pride, right? And so we need to understand that that is the hard attitude behind unruliness. I think that we could probably say that's the hard attitude by probably all sin, right, <laughs> when it comes down to it. Stuart Scott, um, who's a wonderful author, I saw some of his books. Um, he was a professor at the Master's College for a long time, and now he's uh, teaching with Al Mohler. But he wrote this great book called From Pride to Humility. It's a little excerpt from Exemplary Husband. I'm going to give you a definition because I thought this was such a great way to define pride. Um, He says that prideful people believe that they are or should be the source of what is good, right, and worthy of praise. They also believe that they by themselves are or should be the accomplisher of anything that is worthwhile to accomplish and that they should certainly be the benefactor of all things. In essence, they are believing that all things should be from them, through them, and to them, or for them. <laughs> so we, gotta, we all struggle with pride, okay? Um, but we have to figure out what are the manifestations of pride is our counselee struggling with. And for this particular gal, she really just thought she knew better than the leadership. Um, even though the leadership had taken great care to, you know, high accountability, um, you know, just... Th- They discipled. Everything was looking good. Um, They had taken every precaution. She was still resisting them. And and because she was angry about that, she became disrespectful, and she was slandering. And she was also just struggling with that non-submissiveness to the leadership. She wasn't being teachable. There were times that she would become overwhelmed by her emotions um, to the point of of getting headaches. She would cry to the point of getting headaches. She was struggling with with anger. And we know sinful anger has at the root of it... um, pride because it's selfishness, right? Some other things that showed up uh, just were a lack of forgiveness, maximizing other sins while minimizing um, her own. That's a biggie. Um, it just things like that, jealousy, um, which leads to saying hurtful, degrading things. And because these manifestations of pride in her life has as their focus of self, part of the admonishment for her um, or for any counselee or even for our own hearts, we struggle in this way, is to help her how to be God and others centered, okay? That's the goal, to try to get them back to right thinking. How do we nurture that? And so what do you think we need to put on in its place? Absolutely. Is this going to work? Okay, there we go. Um, We need to put on humility. Of course, humility has a right view of God, does it not? 
And so in case we need, so in this case, one, one strategy, if you will, one biblical strategy, something that's super, super wonderful and helpful is just to re- help them have a lofty view of God. And we need to remind her that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And we do that by bringing to her attention that God has a purpose and a plan for her life, for her son's life, for both of their futures, and he can be trusted. He can be trusted with this relationship. We may not always understand what God's plans are for us because the secret things belong to the Lord, but we do know from Scripture that God is working out all things for their good and for his glory and for her son's good and his glory. And he's also involved, he's in the business of conforming all of them, all of us, into the image of Christ um, as they go through the circumstance. So it would be really important in counseling to have her read Romans 8, 28 through 29. And I would have her read it out loud before I would explain it. I would say, let's, let's turn to Romans 8, 28 through 29, and let's read this together. Go ahead and read it out loud. And she would say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, many brothers. Then I would just spend time um, instructing from this passage, um, and I would give her homework that would really emphasize God's sovereignty um, and her need to respond by trusting the Lord. Um, I would give her hope by reminding her that God is not only sovereign, but you know what? God is good. God is good all the time, and he does have a purpose behind her son getting married to this particular girl um, God does control the good and the bad events, does he not, that take place in our lives. What do we call that? We call that God's providence, right? Um, and his providence in her life and in her son's life is always within the framework of God's constant care um, and his absolute rule over all his creation, not only for his glory but for our good, of course. And so even if her son's marriage ended in disaster, which, of course, is her worst fear, do you think God would still care for her and her son and all of those things. Well, of course he would, um, because his grace is always sufficient, right? And so once we establish that God is sovereign, because I think it's really, really important to work on helping your counselees have a high view of God, because that's why they mostly struggle, because they have a low view of God. But once we work on that, once she has that pretty well in her mind, then I would begin to tackle the other unruly behaviors. That's when I would start having her, I would use some key texts for her over the next few weeks, like Matthew 22, 34 through 39, which is, um, you know, obviously um, Jesus reminding us that we need to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we need to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then all the practical application that goes along with that. Then I would probably go to Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and I would begin to teach her how to examine her own heart before she passes judgment on others. And what that looks like. And then I would probably do a lesson on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I would teach her what biblical love is because her bitterness is basically rooted in unforgiveness. And so she needs to learn how to, how to forgive and how to love. She basically has a love problem or James 3, 8 through 9 just to help her with that. Now what I've given you um, on your outline is a very substantial homework um, sampling. This is homework that um, we, we use. As a, this is a resource for you, by the way. Um, but these are homework examples that we give counseling students at the Master's College, okay? 
they, they come in and they counsel, um, they, they turn in these reports, and when they do the homework for their counselees, they don't always, they're not always, um, since they're in the learning phase, uh, the implementation is the hardest part. They might say to somebody, just read chapter one out of Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And so you kind of really need to work on being a little more practical with your homework. And so what I've done for you is just given you a list of some practical homework for someone uh, that would be a situation like her. And by the way, um, I want to kind of pass this on to you. Let me just give you good homework assignments, what they should assure. These are some essential areas. The very first thing is make sure your counselee is reading the Bible, (laughs) okay? Regular Bible reading with applicational journaling or at least some sort of application is just mandatory. (laughs) That's got to be primary. Then some kind of Bible memorization with application and then kind of teaching them how to pray that back to God so that it's really, really practical. They need to be going to church. So make sure your counselees are going to church. If they're not going to church, invite them to your church. But they need to be going to church and they need to be taught even how to maybe do, take ser- notes on the sermon. Um, if you can, which is really super helpful, is if you can get them plugged into some kind of small group or accountability group while you're counseling them, I'm just telling you that integration is such an important piece to counseling. Um, always include some kind of collateral reading. Do we not have the most amazing resources right now as counselors? So the supplementary collateral reading is just that, is to be supplementary to what the Bible is teaching. It's to kind of emphasize or support an issue that's being addressed by a counselee. It's not to be the primary teaching thing. It's just to be the supplementary. But that's always so helpful to have things like that. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, and then the other thing would be just an ongoing emphasis on hope. That would be really, really important. That needs to be part of it. Uh, But, again, you know, you've got all of that homework in there. You can see kind of how we laid it out for someone like her. And peruse it on your own. If you have questions about that, because I'm just kind of um, don't have time to, to do it right at this moment, but I'm at the Master's College table. Come over and ask me or email me, and I can definitely help you if you have any questions about um, just the homework aspect or anything else. So that's just one example of one person in one particular time <laughs> was struggling with unruliness. But isn't it amazing once you ask questions, you start drawing somebody out, how much information you can find out, and how amazing it is that God gives us everything we need to come alongside such a one and help them? I mean, it's really a privilege. Um, But I want to emphasize something about admonishment, okay? It's really reserved for spiritual issues that are clearly sin issues, okay? Um, Issues that bring reproach on the name of Christ and do serious damage to other people. You know, we don't deputize ourselves as the sin police of whatever church you go to and just start admonishing everybody that we feel like admonishing. This is really strictly meant for spiritual issues that are clearly sin issues. Okay, let's look at our next gal. This is Worrisome Wanda. Um, Paul refers to her in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 as the faint-hearted. Worrisome Wanda isn't on the edge like unruly Ursula. Um, in fact, she doesn't even want to be near that edge. No way. <laughs> She's faint-hearted. And, and that's an interesting term that Paul uses, and he only uses it here as a matter of fact. Um, in the Greek, it's the term oligopsukos, and it's only used here. And it, it's, just, it's like two Greek words put together. You've got oliga, which means little, and sukos which means small. And when you put the phrase to God, together, um, it's where we get... Uh, the word small-souled, 
So if you have a counselee who's faint-hearted, she's literally small-souled, okay? And let me just give you some general examples of who this might be in your church. Um, typically, this woman is overwhelmed with the various things that are happening in her life. She's just overwhelmed. She has a lot of fear about the unknown, and consequently, she worries about everything. She's anxious about most things. And sometimes, if you get involved in a counseling relationship, she might even become so overwhelmed with the commitment that she might cancel on you. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. She's so overwhelmed that the minute homework comes out of your mouth, she just wants to dart out that door. I mean, it's just so overwhelming to her. Sometimes a faint-hearted person just lacks a lot of courage. Sometimes there seems to be a sense of inadequacy. Sometimes there seems to be a lack of confidence in her abilities. She's just faint-hearted. She just loses heart. She, she often wants to drop out. Um, she may often seem like a quitter. And sometimes I've, I've had counselees that are certainly faint-hearted that are anxious about her relationship with the Lord. You know, she hears a great sermon, and without fail each week she thinks she's not saved. You know, and that's common. That would be faint-hearted. <laughs> Faint-heartedness is also described in the Old Testament, which is really neat. Um, Solomon uh, calls the faint-hearted a broken spirit from Proverbs 18.14, or the grieved in spirit, which is how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 54.6. The faint-hearted in Thessalonica, they were there. Uh, They were the ones who responded anxiously when persecution came. They were defrauded into thinking by some unruly false teachers, I might add, that the day of the Lord had come, and they thought they had missed it. And so they were panicking. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons, actually, why Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians, was to, uh, his desire was to comfort the faint-hearted and to help them understand that the day of the Lord hadn't come, and they shouldn't allow anyone to deceive them into believing that. The faint-hearted were also the ones in Thessalonica who were deeply troubled by the fact that their loved ones who were dead um, might miss the rapture. They just had this idea that, that, that because they had died that they would miss the rapture. But again, Paul addresses that in Philippians, uh, not Philippians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and reminds them that the dead in Christ will rise first, and they're going to be there, so not to worry. So that's kind of specifically what's what's happening in Thessalonica. But who are the faint-hearted in your church? Well, what I have found in my own church is the faint-hearted typically are the ones coming out of abusive relationships. Okay, that could be one um, person who might be um, struggling in that way. Or it could be a woman who simply finds herself just in a very distressing circumstance. I mean, and they just feel overwhelmed. Um, She might be coming out of a difficult divorce. You know, that's hard. People become overwhelmed by things like that, and they become faint-hearted. Maybe she's suffering suddenly with poor health. You know, that can certainly cause faint-heartedness in a person. Maybe they've just experienced the death of a loved one. Maybe a child has passed away. Maybe a a spouse has passed away. Maybe their husband or they just lost a job. That can certainly cause faint-heartedness. And then um, some other examples that kind of happen with me over time is I had faint-hearted people come for counsel that were freaked out when 9-11 happened, right? Or how about the recent bombings in Boston? That was, that was hard for people. Um, how about uh, the tornadoes in Oklahoma? That, that causes faint-heartedness. I actually had a counseling call. Um, I had a long-distance counseling on the phone from someone in that area that was struggling. Um, just 
lots of occasions like that, that, that people are tempted to respond in faint-heartedness. And you know what? They're going to come find you for biblical counseling. So be ready because that is important to be able to come alongside them. So again, let me just narrow the scope for you because I think case studies are helpful. Um, the counselee that I want to introduce to you today, she's 35 years old. She has one small child. She's been recently separated from her husband due to spousal abuse. And through taking careful inventory by asking lots of questions, it was discovered that she had met her husband at work and that she was already saved when they met. But she continued to date him and even married him, knowing that he was an unbeliever. During that time when she was dating him, unfortunately, there was no one in her particular church at the time who came alongside her who warned her or admonished her not to do that, okay? So she um, married him. She married him. Um, and that, that's, that's hard. That's hard because that was an unruly decision that she made. But unfortunately, within six months after marrying her husband, he did begin to beat her physically. It was a very short period of time. And within 11 months after the first child was born, he, he hit her so badly in front of the baby that she, all, she did everything that she could do just to scoop that baby up and just to flee, just to leave the house immediately. And she had to call the police, and that happens. You know, people go through that. She had to call the police. She had to get a restraining order. Um, And you know what? She was willing to reconcile with this guy. She was willing to get counseling, but he didn't want that. Um, He actually, after that whole to-do happened, um, he kicked her out permanently and divorced her and wants full custody of the child. That's pretty hard. That's hard stuff, isn't it? That is hard stuff. And so this woman has now come on her own for counseling. She wasn't referred. She comes on her own because she's looking for help. And she's looking for encouragement from you. And she wants to learn how to deal with her stress and anxiety. You know? Um, She's just overwhelmed with all things that are happening in her life. And she's overwhelmed by the speed and the intensity at which things are just happening to her. She's overwhelmed by the instability of her life. She's overwhelmed because now what she find, the situation that she finds herself in is she has to work full-time, and she's suddenly a single parent. And that's just tough stuff. And so from what she has shared in the first couple of sessions and from the data that was obtained by the counselor, here are just some, um, just some unbiblical habits or behaviors that were discovered, uh, again, through good questions. Um, it was discovered that she struggles with self-sufficiency, okay, Something that uh, Bob Kellerman talked about. It's, it's just kind of a, a common thing that I see lately. But as I mentioned before, this young woman knew, she knew it was wrong to marry an unbeliever, but she wanted to get married so bad. She wanted to be a mom so bad that she was willing to make that unruly decision. And so part of her faint-heartedness is really rooted in knowing that she made a willful decision to sin. Okay, and she has a wrong view of God, so she thinks that God is going to punish her and condemn her. So that's where the faint-heartedness comes in, okay? And, and she just thinks that God is greatly disappointed in her. She also struggles with making decisions based on her emotion versus God. That's a biggie. Um, she was saved five years before she landed in a good Bible-believing church, um, and unfortunately she hadn't been taught from the Word of God very well prior to that, she never experienced any kind of discipleship. That's why discipleship is so important, ladies, in your church. I hope you're all involved in discipleship. So consequently, this gal was in, had a very, very bad habit of, of being dictated by her emotions. 
And so naturally, when a very stressful circumstance presented itself, it simply overwhelms her and it rules her day. It dictates her day. Um, and so, you know, it's common. This may happen to you. It's common for her to cancel um, counseling sessions. Very common. And she even wanted to quit at one point because she was just so overwhelmed just with counseling, you know. <laughs> Tried not to overwhelm her, but that happens. Um, she also struggled, as you can imagine, uh, tremendous fear or anxiety over her future. That's another thing. Um, as she waited for her divorce to finalize, she really wanted to move back to the small town that she was from, but she was double-guessing herself, and she was constantly wondering what God's will was for her, right? Um, and so, again, she's looking for answers from herself, and she doesn't know how to find answers from God's word or even understand what that means. She was fearful that God was disappointed in her because of this impending divorce, and she viewed it as the impardonable sin, you ever had a counselor like that to think that's the impardonable sin? Um, and she was just waiting for God to strike her down. Again, wrong view of God. Bad theology, right? So anyways, how do we deal with these faint-hearted counselees? What does Paul, what direction, what, what does he tell us? What mandate are we given? What are we to do with them? What do you think? What does the word say? Encourage, right. Okay, so the Greek word for encourage is perikaleo. Um, it's what Paul has in mind here is the idea of coming alongside such a one to console, to comfort, to strengthen, or maybe in some cases just to cheer somebody up. Um, this command is in the present tense imperative, which simply means that if you're acquainted with a faint hearted, uh, person in your life, you're actually commanded to continually encourage them. It's just not a one-time action continually. And that's very um, convicting. So you're commanded to continually encourage them. And the only way that we can do that is to really have the attitude of care and concern and love for other people. Because can I just tell you that faint-hearted counselees take a lot of your time? They do. And you need to have love like Christ and care and concern because they will take a lot of your time and they will try your patience. Okay? At times... But the idea that Paul is trying to convey here is this personal, intimate fellowship with Christians who are stronger. So in other words, when you spend time with your small-souled counselee, what she's going to learn, she's going to become a student of you, and, and which means hopefully she's going to become a student of Christ because that's our, our example. But you begin to model the Christian life for her in the right way. Um, including the right response when you're faced with difficult circumstance. Now, Paul gives a, an example of what that looks like, because he's a great example of a person who does this. First Thessalonians 2, verse 7, he says, We prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, because we had such a fond inf- affection for you. It's very evident when you read through First and Second Th- Thessalonians, and really most of the epistles, that Paul just really loved this congregation, um, he, he models tenderness. He models encouragement. He models Christ. And so in like manner, when we have these opportunities to come alongside these worrisome wandas, we need to be tender. We need to be encouraging. Okay? And so that's just an important thing. But we need to look at the heart of the matter. Um, there are many ways in um, which to do that. So as a recap, this gal, she struggles with self-sufficiency, making decisions based on emotion versus God's word, and has fear and anxiety over her future. Those are the actions. Um, but what do you think is going on behind the heart? 
I think she's probably struggling with trusting in self, right? So we're going to take a look at what that means. She's trusting in herself, and we're going to take a look at, let's put on trusting God, okay? Once again, you know, relying on self, we already learned that pride is at the root of that. So just being aware of that and knowing that she's like a bruised reed, um, we have to come alongside her and not only comfort her in her despair, but we need to instruct her how to put off trusting in self and put on trusting in God. And in particular, what I find most helpful with uh, faint-hearted counselees during the instruction time is just to make a commitment to pray with them. And you know what? I don't even have to really give you an example because Bob Kellerman did exactly what I do. <laughs> I just couldn't believe how beautifully he modeled that. That is exactly what I do. I, I, you have the opening prayer when you counsel, of course. But throughout the counseling time, I will often stop and we will pray through Scripture together. That is very comforting to a faint-hearted counselee. And you know what else it does and what it did for her in particular? It models a dependence upon the Lord um, for everything, which will nurture in her a trust in God. You don't want her to be dependent upon you and the counselor. The counselor needs to show and model trust in God. Um, also, uh, whatever you have the counselee read in the Bible during the week as part of the homework, make that in your, your instruction time during, during counseling for example, I had her read and study Philippians during the week for homework, but at the sessions, it was part of the instruction time to be sure she understood the context and the application, and then we would spend time praying through Philippians, very much like what Bob Kellerman did, um, just for spiritual growth. Um, it, it's, it's just important that she needed to understand that God's word is sufficient. That's the authority, not me. I'm facilitating that, but that's the authority. And so she, that's how she was able to learn how to be principle-oriented versus emotionally-oriented, right? I mean, God gave us emotions, but we need to learn how to be principle-oriented women. Um, and it would be important to share some of your own trials, don't you think, how God has been faithful to you? My favorite uh, verse in the Bible for encouragement is 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's a great verse because Paul reminds us that there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And so I encourage faint-hearted counselees that if they're God's child, God will never allow them to face a temptation that's beyond their ability to resist. All of us face different temptations at different stages in our Christian walk, but the Lord guards us at each stage of our journey. Really important for them to hear that. He permits us to be tempted only in ways we are able to deal with it at the time. God is not going to leave you nor forsake you. Um, he is personally involved in your life. He shelters you from temptations that will overwhelm you. And again, we all face temptations that will be never more than human and they'll be never more than you can bear. Just encouraging words like that. There's always going to be a way of escape so that you can bear it. And often the way of escape comes in the midst of temptation. And so I would explain that. That's kind of my way of instructing through 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And then I would sh share, I'd say, for example, let me share something in my own life so that, to demonstrate what I just told you. Because there's no temptation common to man. You're not alone, right? They need to hear things like that. Another strategy for these counselees in particular during instruction time is to help them find comfort in the gospel and in Christ, you know? That's just so important. Like Bob Kellerman said tonight, 
that the gospel isn't only for salvation. You know, the gospel is for everyday life. It brings hope. It brings comfort. Um, it brings encouragement. It's going to nourish in her a trust in God, and that's really the goal. Again, I've got more homework in there for you to look at for a, for a uh, faint-hearted counselee. It's kind of divided into two categories, what to do with somebody that's coming out of an abusive situation and then just, you know, other people. Um, and I think that'll be really, really helpful for you. Um, one word of caution with these counselees, you have to be really careful about how much homework you give them. You can't pile it on. You will overwhelm them. And so part of the counseling for you, part of the learning process is going to be how to gauge that. Um, and, you know, it just it's kind of a process, but you just, you'll get it. You'll get it over time. You just, it's just kind of like a little dance. <laughs> you figure out what they can handle and just help them to be faithful because that actually gives them encouragement when you help them to be faithful. Okay, next category. Um, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 to help the weak. We're going to call her Fragile Franny, and she suffers from two major problems. First, she has a weak faith. Um, in this verse, Paul's not saying that these people are weak physically. Actually, what he's talking about, because um, he's dealing with the spiritual ministry in the church, so he's actually referring to a weak faith, like somebody who's just a baby Christian, you know, someone who's just come to the Lord. Uh, something that Paul talks about in Romans 14 and 15. They just aren't mature in the faith yet. Um, and so if you disciple or counsel such a one, they're still learning things like fundamentals of the faith. So she's got that going on. But the second thing is fragile Franny can also be morally weak. Um, they off, they're, they're often the kind of people that keep falling into the same holes over and over again. Okay? Uh, John MacArthur once said in a sermon that I listened to one time that these are the people, after getting them up and dusting them off, they're back in the same old hole again. <laughs> Most often, the morally weak come out of pretty rough backgrounds, um, and many struggle with things like anger and unforgiveness and depression. Sometimes they lack assurance in their salvation. It just depends. But as far as a case study, I thought what I would share with you a little bit about are just some women, some just wonderful women that I got the privilege to counsel at a Christian shelter, a women's shelter in L.A., um, they all struggled with a weak faith because they were just all brand-new believers, um, and they, you know, a lot of them, like six weeks old in the Lord, just brand new. Um, but they were also morally weak because all of them came out of really desperate situations, you know, drug addiction, extreme poverty, uh, very abusive relationships. Some came out of um, prison. Most of them were coming out of the prison system. A lot of them had learning disabilities, and, and that can cause some problems for people, too. So that's kind of the general broad uh, case study for a fragile Franny. That's kind of what you're dealing with. And so Paul says that we need to help these gals. Um, and the mandate is to help. It has a much bigger meaning when you look at it in the original language than just how we use the word help in our vernacular. What he really means here is that we're to hold firmly to or to hold tightly to, to cling to, or just to hold them up. You know, we take a hold of those weaker sisters that we have in Christ and we help them to stand and walk in the Lord. That's basically what he's, he's telling us to do. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 is a good verse that really supports uh, what he's talking about here. Um, Brethren, if anyone is caught up in a trespass, in other words, Paul's saying, if a brother or sister is overtaken by sin, Paul says that we who are spiritual 
need to restore such a one, and to restore means to pick them up. And then if you skip down to verse 2, Paul says to bear one another's burden, and that would be sort of step two where to hold them up. So we pick them up and we hold them up. And that's how we help fragile Frannies um, that God brings into our lives because, again, as you can imagine, a fragile Franny is going to be a long-term investment. She's a long-term investment. She's the one that I, if I think of the ones in my life that were year-long, you know, and then beyond because they become your sisters in Christ, your friends, your discipleship relationships forever, and you just love them so much. Um, as I mentioned before, they're not quite grounded in the faith, so as far as counseling, being very practical right now, one thing that I would do is I would spend a great deal of time with them, training them doctrinally, right, and helping them to be grounded in the faith with the goal of nurturing a high view of God. I would I begin with the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. I think that's just a foundational book. Uh, the first three chapters covers in doctrine or indicatives who we are in Christ, right? And the, the last three chapters are the imperatives or the commands, how we, how, you know, who we are in Christ, and then how we respond based on that. Here's another helpful book. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. It's Fundamentals of the Faith. Grace Community Church puts that book out. I just think that is one of the most helpful resources I have ever used with a brand new Christian. It's just so practical. It has so much uh, great practical doctrine. It just trains them so well. And I took a whole group of those ladies through a Bible study, and that's what we did. We did Fundamentals of the Faith. Um, then eventually I might maybe one-on-one suggest, uh, attributes of God by A.W. Pink, just to, I'm just really big on nurturing high view of God in people. And so maybe they'd read a chapter a week, you know, you kind of have to see how it goes and if they're going to be able to handle the material, but it's really important that they learn how, what an attribute of God is and then how to even meditate on that during the week. And that is just so super helpful. Um, I used a book with a couple of ladies uh, at that shelter that I just thought was so, so good. It's Down But Not Out by Wayne Mack. This is for somebody. This is supplementary reading. It's good to use this if they're coming out of a difficult past because a lot of these gals are dealing with issues like reconciling with family members, you know, because they've been through hard times. They've got some stuff going on, so you've got to really help them with reconciliation and and just encourage them to stay the course. Um, Another really helpful resource, which is in your homework, you can can look at the the list that I've got there. How many of you have heard heard of uh, Forgive as the Lord Forgave by Patrick Morrison? Okay, Carolyn has. Um, It's a small pamphlet. So what's great about it is it's not too much for, you know, a younger believer to handle. It's not an overwhelming book. If you look under the homework, I think under Faint-Hearted Counselees, it's in there, but it's called Forgive as the Lord Forgave You. Um, another way is just to be willing to help her to integrate into the church. Um, you need to invite them, go with them um, to Bible study and things like that because fragile Frannies are not inclined to plug in on their own. They really need a lot of help. And so you need to help them plug in. It's, it's a good way to, to learn um, integration. Okay, so let me wrap up because we've got 10 minutes left. Um, all right. At the end of verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that we are to be patient with all men, okay? This category of people is everyone else who doesn't fit into the first three categories, and those who do, right? Paul is saying that all men, all women, all of us need to be patient with people as God sanctifies them. In counseling, sometimes we make the mistake of wanting people to grow at our own rate, 
They, we really do. Instead of uh, realizing that we can't sanctify anybody, we're the facilitators of God's word. God's the one that sanctifies at his own pace. So part of the reason we can be tempted to be impatient with those we counsel is that you will find yourself giving and giving and giving um, without getting a whole lot back. And so that's when you can be tempted to be discouraged. That's when you can be tempted to be impatient and disappointed. But Paul is reminding you here and reminding me that we need to be patient with those who try our patience. Okay? He uses the verb macrotomeo for patience, which gives the idea of a steady patience. That kind of patience is long-suffering under provocation. It it expresses a long-spiritedness. It's reflective of God's steady patience with mercy and forbearance um, with others for their good. And so God calls each one of us to show the same steady, loving, forbearing, forgiving, patient attitudes towards those that he brings into your life that you get the privilege of counseling who will at times try your patience, okay? But when we extend that kind of patience towards other, who are we imitating? We're imitating Christ, and that's so important. So one last thought I have in an effort to encourage you ladies in your counseling endeavors is I want you to remember that this ability to be able to come alongside as counselors to admonish others, encourage others, to be patient with others, um, requires nothing short of the love of God that's produced by God the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of how I want to end our time tonight, is I want to remind all of you that you are not alone in the counseling room. You're definitely not alone in your discipleship or for your, and for your life, for that matter, The Holy Spirit plays such an important role in all of your counseling. Um, He really does. Um, I think Bob Kellerman says this, but he's our parakaleo, which means that he's our come-alongsider. He has been called to our aid. He is your spiritual attendant whose role is to offer you assistance, support, belief, and guidance. His ministry to all of us is to offer help in our walk here on earth, He's not a mystical power or an impersonal force, right? The Holy Spirit is God, and he is here to help to guide you as a counselor and to guide your counselee into the truth. And he's going to be the one that will convict them of their sin. Um, He will be the one to bring those important truths to mind. You know how it is sometimes you're in counseling, you're like, oh, where's that verse? Um, He's the one that's going to remind you of where that truth is because you prepared and you tucked it away in the treasure box of your heart, right? He's going to be the one to remind you of that. The Holy Spirit indwells. He's always with us. And so when we become fearful and we want to pull away from these um, people that God brings into our lives, we can ask him for strength and we can ask him for wisdom. And he's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. So if you want to take these counseling discipleship relationships just a little bit deeper, it's going to require a willingness on your part to be involved because that's a big part of it. And if you truly desire to see your counselees mature in the faith and walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, it's going to mean that you've got to deal with their sin. You've got to deal with your sin, too, but you've got to deal with their sin, right? And that's how the church grows. When the sheep start taking care of the sheep, that's how the church grows. That's what it's about. That's what it means to be a properly fit joint in the body of Christ. When we care enough to come alongside our unbending Ursulas, our worrisome Wandas, and our fragile Frannies to admonish them, encourage them, and to help them with patience. And deeper discipleship can happen, and it can be the result when we're involved. All right? Shall I pray with you? All right, let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for this evening. It was just such a blessing to be here, Lord. I love this ministry so much and just what you're doing with it. Um, just bless Jim Neuheiser and Craig and all that they're doing here, Lord. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us uh, without anything. But, Father, you actually give us everything we need for life and godliness. You give us your word, which gives us direction on how to live in a manner that's worthy of your calling, Lord. You give us your word to help us as counselors to come alongside those you bring into our lives, to help us to admonish them if they need admonishment, to encourage them when they need encouragement, to help them when they need help. Um, Father God, we're just so grateful for that. Um, Father, just um, help us to really meditate um, this week on your grace. Um, Help us to uh, just uh, really uh, just reflect on our counseling and whether or not we're being patient and just good studiers of people, Lord, and not being so quick to uh, just diagnose issues, but really just loving on people and taking the time to ask good questions and just discern where they're at. Father, we just want to give you all the glory for all these things. And again, we love you so much and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2013, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.